This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome to another Late Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Tom Rogers. I am your host this evening, and with me, joining me absolutely live from across the United States, is Doug Lamov, Erica Woolway, and John Costello. We are talking remote learning, remote teaching, and all the rest of it. And as always, we are live. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, good evening, good evening. I've already got one of my guests in the studio. What is going on? This is fantastic news. And I will be bringing them into the conversation very, very soon. Uh, But before I do that, and before we move on to that, I thought I'd introduce the show tonight because the reason I've arranged this impromptu show on remote teaching and learning is because of the possibility that we're all gonna be going back there. Now, all disclosures here, I am already teaching online at the moment. I'm on a short-term contract. I'm teaching at a school in Spain and I'm teaching live remotely. And I have been for the last couple of weeks. I've got another four weeks after Christmas. Um, and, And again, it's a school that I've already taught in before. So it's a school I'm very, very familiar with. I've already taught there a couple of years ago. So I know a lot of the students, which helps a lot with kind of online learning, but it kind of inspired me towards this show because I thought, you know what, people are going to be stressed about maybe after Christmas going back to remote learning. Um, now, at that point, I was like, well, who who, who can I get? Who, who is best placed perhaps to talk to us about this? And I thought, well, what about Doug Lamov, Erica Woolway and John Costello? Uh, who better could I get uh, to actually talk about these issues than the people who work on the Teach Like a Champion team who have written and co-authored books on uh, teaching remotely and teaching online. Um, and it's a fantastic opportunity for me to, to speak to them and, and hopefully to uh, ask them the questions that you would like to ask. And of course, if you are listening live, whether you're listening on desktop, whether you're listening on mobile, then you can also write questions into the chat. Uh, if you want to ask a question of our, our guest tonight, then you can do that. Um, now, Doug's going to be joining us in a little bit of time. Um, but first of all, let's see who we've got first. Good evening. Oh, hi. Can you hear me? Well, I can, I can hear you very well. Oh, hi, hi, John. This, this, yeah, hi. This is John. I've just noticed you are A-D-V-I-E-C-Z-D, which is quite apt that we're talking about remote teaching, isn't it? When you come in with a, a random username. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's great. John, just to introduce you, um, you are Senior Associate Director of, of Professional Development with a specialism in technology. Would that be right? Yes, that's right. Um, you know, largely I do the video editing. I, I, I watch the video and I edit the video for uh, ah. Teach Like a Champion. Oh my God, those videos are amazing. You're oh, like, you. <laughs> no, they are pretty cool. Like, that is, I mean, I'm I mean, interested. Mostly in... I think it's the, the teachers. Like, I, honestly, I, I, I get to work with great video, right? So uh, we just, we work with schools and they get to send us their best teachers. And, you know, my job is mostly I get to watch awesome teachers teaching. And then I have the pleasure of just like cutting the best moments and saying like, hey, this is like something we think is great uh, that they're doing and we want to share it with other people. 
That is so cool. Um, I notice Erica is here as well. So Erica, feel free to call in now as well and we'll, we'll, we'll start the conversation. But John, I'll start with you. And this was a question I was going to ask you later on, but we'll kind of import it in now, right? And the question I was going to ask you, we'll jump straight in, was about tech tools and kind of teaching online. And I was going to ask you a, a kind of a, I guess a silly question to start with. I was going to ask you, what do you think the best is out of Teams, Zoom, or what's the other one? Teams, Zoom, or uh, Google. Google, Google Classroom. Google Classroom. Oh, there's Erica. Um, <laughs> that was me, so, echoing. Don't worry about that. You know, my, my guiding philosophy is it, the system that you're most familiar with is the best system. Um, so, you know, we, as a team, we were using Zoom for like five years before the pandemic. So we continued to use Zoom because that's what we were familiar with. And that's sort of like my guiding philosophy for all teachers is that like the system you know best, um, you know, I want, I want tech tools to be um, as easy for teachers to use as possible. I want as little competing for their attention as possible. Uh, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> if you've got experience with Teams, great. Keep using Teams. If you've been using Zoom for years, keep using Zoom. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've used Teams and Zoom, um, and I found both of them pretty similar, to be honest, in terms of what you can do um, with them. And in terms of their reliability, pretty similar. Although I have to say with Teams, there's been a few little, in, in the, my last stint of remote teaching, which was at the start of last year, there was quite a lot, sorry, the start of this year with Teams, there was a lot of glitchiness actually with it in terms of connectivity and so on. So, you know, Zoom, I haven't really seen as much of that. I have to say that. But in terms of tools, I think they're they're very, very similar um, in terms of what they actually deliver. Um, right. I wondered whether, I wondered whether from your perspective, because I know you mentioned the video editing. So when teachers record lesson content, um, what would you, any tips there in terms of making really good videos for the classroom? Yeah, yeah, um, glad you asked. Uh, so, I mean, I would actually start at the end and figure out you know, that, that you want the video to be used for, right? So when you're imagining using classroom video, uh, whether it's to like, you know, reflect back on something like you could, cause you, you could use it as a teacher, right. To say, okay, this is what happened in our lesson last week. And I want to yeah. revisit this moment. Um, you can definitely use it in like PD. Like if you're like working one-on-one -on -one with your coach, it's like, Hey, this moment happened. I wasn't sure how I should handle the situation. What should I have done here? Or, you know, what, what's some advice you might have for me? Um, or, you know, you might say like, Hey, you know, I feel actually really good about how this lesson went. Like, let's see if we can share this or, or, or like you might even like go to like, Hey, you know, I, I've always admired you as a teacher. Can I, can I watch some of your lessons? Right. So it's just a question of like, you have to first figure out what it is you want to show because you have to, mm. you have to start with that vision of, okay, what is it, What is this going to look like as an end product? It might require a lot of editing to get there. It might be just 10 mm. minutes of raw video. Um, but yeah, the, the main thing is you need just a guiding focus of how you're going to use the video and then everything else will sort of lead up to that. And out of interest, what kind of editing software do you tend to use? And do you know of any that are that a lot of teachers tend to use? I use Camtasia, which is fantastic, but it is quite on the pricey end. I wondered whether there's anything that you think is a good shout for teachers to use if they're recording video content for, for lessons. Um, 
So I, I use Adobe products. It's just what I grew up with. Yeah. I was familiar yeah. with it. And like, like I said, that's, that's my guiding philosophy, right? It's like whatever, if, if like you've been making stuff for YouTube and you've been using a particular program, just keep using that program. Ultimately, I don't think, I don't think there's so much difference between timeline editing programs that one is like fundamentally better than the other. Uh, like, you know, mm. things like um, Final Cut, I mean, I think Adobe Premiere is a great program. I think After Effects is a tremendous special effects program. Uh, I don't think most people need to learn to use it. Like, especially when we're talking about teaching, like, I think the the more true to like what actually happened is uh, going to be more useful. I mean, it depends, right? I mean, you know, if you're making content for students, that's a whole other question. But if you just like yeah. want to demonstrate what your teaching was like and what happened in your classroom... Because that, that's what we do. Like uh, on our team, we're mostly just like saying like, this is what happened in this classroom. This is what this person is doing. We're just trying to record an event. Um, you know, you don't want too many special effects. You don't want to change things. You want you want to show it as it is, which means you don't need particularly advanced software, right? Um, mm. So mm. like, you know, any any sort of free timeline editing program is probably fine. Uh, and then if you go like the next step up, I, I like Adobe products. Um, there's uh, Adobe now has uh, an editor on your phone that I think works pretty well. But like even the, people have been applying editing tools to other things now. So there's editing tools on Vimeo now. So I love Vimeo as a video host. Yeah. And now yeah. you can use it. You can just cut and trim video right on YouTube, Vimeo. to be fair. YouTube as well has its own. Yeah, exactly. So like if you're just cutting video, like just just do it in the browser. Like take out as many mm. steps as possible. I mean, Camtasia is quite cool in the sense that you can create videos with clickable links in things like that. I mean, if you want to get really snazzy, I suppose that's probably what you can do in Adobe and 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 Camtasia is things a bit more bring a bit more interactivity, I guess, in, into those pre-recorded videos. But other than that, you're right. I mean, it's the content that matters, isn't it? It's the teacher. I always remember um, uh, Salman Khan, uh, Khan Academy, saying that it was about the uh, the, the kind of um, uh, the teacher and, and, the, yeah. and the kind of delivery and the engagement that that delivers rather than any tech around it. And he just used a, a Wacom bamboo tablet and a, a pen and he kind of just used that. And it was really simple considering it was like a multi-million pound production behind Khan Academy, but that's what he decided to use. And it kind of worked. You know, if you watch one of those videos, you're like, this is cool. And that's what inspired me to do my uh, videos like years ago, like 2014, 15 was watching him do that. Let's see if we've got Erica and Doug with us. Erica, good evening. Good evening. How's it going? Thanks for having us. Hey, it's uh, thank you so much for giving up your time this evening because I know it's been it, it's probably a very busy time out there. Festive season, Christmas coming up, so it'll probably be super busy. So thank you for giving this time. And also, we might have Doug here. Doug, good evening. Yeah, I'm here. Nice to talk to you. Nice to see you. We're not amazing. Seeing, talk to you. Not, yeah. not see. Yeah, not see. Come on, we're, we're not online teaching here, Doug. Okay, but yeah, abs absolutely. Um, but uh, honestly, and as well to you, Doug. Thanks so much for for giving up all your time um, to be here collectively. Now, Erica, uh, before I come on to Doug, a little introduction for you. You are a colleague of Doug. You are also the co-author of uh, Teach Like a Champion and the CAO of the team. Would that be a correct introduction for you? Have I got that uh, kind of uh, right? Uh, close, uh, co-author on <laughs> considered and practice perfect, uh, but teach like a champion is, is all Doug's own in terms of authorship, but it's huge support, especially from John on the video side and the rest of our team on content. So we're just lucky to be part of a great team that, that works behind Doug. 
God, yeah, I'll give myself a 7 out of 10 then for that introduction. Oh, um, yeah, Erica. it's a 9.5, don't even. <laughs> and, um, and Doug, you can once again mark me here. Hopefully I'll get a higher one than a 7 for you. Um, founder of Uncommon Schools and Managing Director of Teaching Like a Champion and author of Teaching Like a Champion times three um, with, I think the third edition was out about two months ago, wasn't it? Um, and Shivan in the Schools Week uh, about few weeks ago called it an astonishingly ambitious and generous book so there's a review and a half there doug for that <laughs> yeah, that's such a nice thing for him to say uh yes that's... but it's true the third version of the book is out um and erica was uh too humble to say it but you know the all of our books are really written by our whole team so uh john and erica are are you know make incredible contributions as does everyone on our team to yeah the work that we do you know with online trainings and the books and that kind of thing of so. course of course um erica I'll, I'll start with you actually on this and i might then come to uh to john and doug on this as well but why don't teachers like online teaching uh i think there's a myriad of reasons at this point um and and it's and when you first welcomed us to the call i said you know i wish it were under different circumstances that it was a a late night before christmas uh gathering to to prepare teachers for for what might be ahead in the new year um but i think it goes to to some of john's points earlier around um, what are some of the most difficult things? Not getting to see the kids, not getting to connect, not getting to be in person. And when you ask the question about, you know, how do you, what do you, what are your recommendations for, for record, you know, pre-recorded videos, which, which, you know, we've all come to now know as the term asynchronous, um, you're really speaking into a void and you're really just doing it with fingers crossed that someone's on the other end is, is, in, is connecting. Whereas when you're in person, you really can, uh, you know, build relationships and, and, and uh, feed off of what the, the energy that the kids bring. I will say that we were thrilled to see that synchronous learning was able, teachers were able to still have those relationships. So I think in the end, um, you know, everybody fared as, as well as could have been, but of course we all prefer in person for, for all those reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And it may be that there are teachers or potential teachers listening who don't know what uh, synchronous and asynchronous actually mean, Erica. So I was wondering whether you could maybe just give us an overview on that. And I know in in uh, I know there's been a lot of talk recently about which one's better. Uh, certainly there was last year, anyway. In the kind of old school, uh, you know, days of of COVID teaching, is kind of like asynchronous versus synchronous. So I wondered whether you could give us an overview on those two and your opinion on which one is better. And yes, this is a dichotomy, Erica, which is horrible and we love it. So um, it's like win or bin, asynchronous versus synchronous. Yeah, so you're going to make me pick. Well, uh, of course I am. <laughs> in the beginning of the pandemic, we had a one-on-one workshop, which really addressed this, which was um, synchronous and asynchronous and how to leverage each. In terms of definitions, you know, asynchronous, which we've already talked about, would be a pre-recorded video where, you know, you're teaching and students are learning, but it's not in the same time nor at the same place. Whereas synchronous would be you're teaching and learning, I'm sorry, not at the same place or not at the same time. So the benefits on asynchronous there would be that, uh, you know, for students, especially in the upper grades who might also be working and they can't, you know, log in at, you know, 
227 on a Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. Um, they can take it at their own speed um, and to their own schedule. Um, but, but synchronous is when the entire class would gather together at the same time. And so all learners are not in the same place, of course, but at the same at learning alongside each other at the same time. And the benefit there is, is like we said, that we're, you, we were really pleasantly surprised by, and I could say this also as a mother of three online learners who were learning for an, a year and a half online. Uh, our, their school decided mm-hmm. to stay online for longer than most. Uh, and at the socially distanced end of your picnic, you know, everybody was hugging and, and playing together as though they'd been playing together in person all year. Um, and so uh, I think those relationships really were able to form, of course, not on the same day-to-day way that they are now in, in person, but um, it, you know, and I think the other big difference there is your ability to check for understanding live, right? When with asynchronous, you're truly teaching into a void and you have to wait till sub- assignments are submitted before you know how well a student has done. But synchronously, you could jump into a, a Zoom breakout room or, you know, have all 30 of your students drop something into the chat and you get immediate data on what they've learned. So, you know, if you're going to make me pick, I'll choose synchronous, uh, but just want to give nods to, to the asynchronous especially at the beginning of the pandemic when we, when it was all we had, you know, of course, no, yeah. we know all our students had laptops. We didn't know what their, their wa- yeah. Wi-Fi yeah. would be like. So, um, you know, now if we have a choice, I would, I would definitely vote for synchronous. Yeah. We've had a few texts in actually. Uh, so we've had, uh, Chris is texting saying when you work in a school in England with an international study body, the mm-hmm. most challenging scenario is teaching online synchronous. Uh, also, we've had Martin text in and say, less stress, anxiety, home comforts, some and guidance from parents worry for those who don't have parental support. OK, fair enough. Um, I was going to ask you all, actually, on this, because um, presumably and, and by the way, I'll unmute you all. So feel free to kind of jump in on this if you want. But basically what, what you must presumably you've all seen uh, people, teachers teach online. And I was wondering what you might consider to be some of the best practice and perhaps uh, the more developmental practice that you've seen. I mean, one question I was actually going to ask Doug later on was, what's the difference between teach like a champion online teaching and not teaching like a champion online teaching? Good questions, those, aren't they? They're great questions. (laughs) So so, um, the short answer is, well, what are some things that are effective when you're online teaching? Yeah. I, I think one of the things to just first think about is, um, you know, it's an entirely new setting, and the most influential, the most, the most influential factor on anyone's behavior, learning behaviors, or otherwise in any setting is their perception of the norms. And so, I, when I watch, you know, really, what what seem to me to be really successful teachers in an online setting they were great at setting active norms right away. So I'm thinking in particular of this video that John and Erica will recognize right away. Of, it's a, her, the teacher's name is Ariana Chop. She teaches in Los Angeles. And her lesson starts, you know, kids are coming online, they're turning on their, their laptops. And very simply and elegantly, she's like, you know, morning, Tom, I see Erica's here, John's here, ready to go. Not too much time I'd spend on that because I think one of the things we have to do is get started right away. So there's something like, you know, with momentum and flow to say yes to. But then she says, you know, uh, in the chat, open up the chat and tell me, you know, uh, hmm. describe to me, a, you know, something about last night is like last night's re- so-and-so's reaction is so-and-so go. 
And then the kids start chatting, you know, like answering in the chat. And she cold calls a couple of students. You know, she says, oh, uh, Caleb, so interesting what you wrote in the chat. Tell us more. And I think in this, like, so this all happens in the first two minutes of the lesson. Yeah, yeah. And I think a couple of really important things happen here. One is um, everyone is actively engaged. They chat first and then um, they're cold calls. And so kids are sort of ready to jump in. And the cold calls are like, you go first, Caleb, you go second, Martin, you go third, Shyla. And so kids know that they kind of have to listen to each other. So the norm of active participation is set. And I think that's really important. It's so much more easy to be distracted online and to be cut off and feel um, not a part of the lesson. Like, I'm just going to sit back and this is going to be a video that's talking yeah. to me. And we know that when that happens, kids are not going to learn as much as they are if they're actively engaged. And the other I think you mean, like pa you mean like passive, right? So yeah, kind of right. being the, passive. The norm, the norm of passivity is a risk in any classroom. I mean, it's times 100 in an online classroom where, you know, kids are just used to being passive when they're on a on a screen. And so, you know, um, they, most of the videos that they watch imply passivity. So I think she takes that norm of passivity and flips it on its head and establishes this norm of activity within the first two minutes of class. And so even when we do a workshop with adults and I, you know, uh, we set out to have some sort of question that everyone actively engages in, in the first two to three minutes right away in the chat. Uh, and then we ask people yeah. to, to build on their ideas because the other thing you're doing when you ask people to write in the chat is it's not just that people are actively engaged, but that they see everyone else on the call actively engaged. And so then you're setting a norm. And so we actually, we watching teachers like this, we built this sort of recipe. We, we called it chat appreciative cold call, which is like, yeah, ask people to chat about some interesting question, read through their answers as they're chatting and say, mm, Oh, that's so interesting. What you said. So-and-so can you, can you come off mute and tell us a little bit more about it? And that also establishes the like, I'm calling on you because I'm, I, I'm trying to honor your ideas and I appreciate what you wrote. And so it's, it's a good, when I invite you into the conversation, it's a good thing. And so that, I, I love that recipe, but I think written, writ, writ large, it's a story about resetting norms uh, and making, yeah. and just sort yeah. of signaling that it's going to be active participation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And one of the things that I've used is actually menti.com, which is, uh, you've probably heard of it, but like, you know, it, it's fantastic for, uh, live polling and, um, in getting the, all the students, if they've got devices, of course, if they've got their own devices, it's brilliant for getting that live, uh, uh interaction and connectivity that you mentioned earlier and trying to avoid maybe a little bit of that passivity creeping in. But obviously this is for live online teaching rather than pre-recorded which is slightly different but menti.com is really good at the start of lessons to use in that capacity now erica i want to uh, bring yourself and john in on this um so i was going to ask you both but i'll start maybe with erica is how do you encourage students and this i guess applies online and offline but particularly obviously our focus is online is how do you encourage students to unmute themselves and to turn their cameras on? Because I've always found that teaching online when they have their cameras and or microphones on is 100% easier than if they don't have either. So is there a way that you try to encourage that or you would advise people to encourage that? Yeah, you, you really went heart, straight to the heart of one of the, one of the challenges of, of online teaching. Um, and, and to sort of combine it... Um, 
I mean, we 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 sort of went so far early on, and and Doug was the face of it uh, on on our blog, which you should check out at teachlikeachampion.org backslash blog, I think, Doug, uh, in which we talked, to, we took, you know, pretty head on on the cameras on debate and uh, suffered a lot of <laughs> backlash. Um, you know, recognizing that, of course, we know that equity is a big, big challenge um, and that people can feel different ways about the home in which they live. We also recognize that if we're going to spend a year of online learning or even a month, I mean, you know, a month of learning and teaching, teaching and learning into a void where if my camera's not on, that means I can be doing, you know, goodness only knows what instead of listening to the lesson. Um, we, we talk about the importance of a rollout speech. Uh, scripting as a teacher, whatever your expectation is for, this can be in, in the classroom or on Zoom, expectation for, for instance, for cameras on. And so uh, it might sound something like, okay, guys, we're back, we're, we're back online, but hopefully it's brief. Um, but when we're online, here, here are the expectations for class. I'm going to have my camera on. Uh, and I would hope the same of you. We understand there are disruptions. Um, and there might be times where you have to turn it off. If you have to turn off your camera, just chat me and just send me a message in the chat, you know, sort of giving them the system and routine. And then most important in a rollout speech is giving them the why. So the reason I need your camera on is just like when we were together in person, we got to see and interact and um, you get energy from me and I have a sense of what, how much you're understanding or how much support you need when I can see you. That is why we need our cameras on. Um, and I even, when we do our workshops, even demonstrate uh, as part of a, a, a mock rollout speech, look how boring it is when I turn my camera off. What if you were just listening to me and I was this little black box or my still picture? It's not that exciting. So uh, in order to make this time as engaging as possible, uh, we're just all going to do our best to keep our cameras on. And again, just message me if you have to turn it off. So scripting a rollout speech, that would have been mine, although I would rehearse it and refine it and, you know, strike out all the words that were unnecessary. Just, just, to, just to cut in there, Erica, when yeah. you say rehearse the rollout speech, what, what do you mean by that? Can you kind of expand on that idea maybe a little bit, this idea yeah. of the scripting side? Great. So, you know, you just asked me how, how we encourage, and I would say a rollout speech. I did my best on the fly to give you what my rollout speech would be. And let's say I hadn't planned my lesson, that would be my rollout speech uh, for my, let's say that was probably aimed around fifth or sixth grade. Uh, or I guess over there, it would be se seven year. Is that correct? Year seventh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not going to be as good if I don't take the time to just plan it in advance. And if I plan it in advance, I may as well just give it a, give it a run through in advance to your, again, to your earlier question to John, what are your, what's your guidance for pre-recorded video? What's your guidance for synchronous teaching? Um, it, it's still the same tenets of, uh, planning and preparation. Uh, and so that would, that's what I mean by scripting and, and, and rehearsing. Yeah. Not to say that you have to do that for all parts of your lesson. Of course, we don't, there's not enough hours in the day, but for key yeah. points like expecting cameras on, uh, you know, that would be something worthy of, of advanced preparation. Yeah. And, and Martin's text in and rightly said, you know, some children, like most adults, don't want to be visible. Um, my three children did not want to be vocal or visual online, which, you yeah. know, uh, I've experienced in all, all the students I've taught. You know, it's, it's the same thing. You do have that mix. Um, yeah. But in terms of it from a t I, I, Martin, just my answer to that is from my t my selfish teacher perspective, I found it easier. Um, when yeah. The and I will say there's a... Sorry to interrupt you. We have a great colleague yeah, on yeah, our yeah. team who she joined our team uh, because we've admired her so much from her in-classroom teaching and her remote yeah. teaching. And she was teaching in a district in North Carolina. 
and they they mandated no cameras were allowed whatsoever. And so she showed up every day on Zoom to teach AP chemistry to her 11th and 12th graders, which would be your year. Oh, I'm not going to attempt. Uh, <laughs> end of secondary. How's that? Uh, and she was teaching to a lot of black boxes and we observed her cold calling and she would yeah. cold call from time to time and there would be no answer. And she would say, great, I'm going to come back to you later. And then she would call on another student and the student uh, and it was a, an answer, a problem I couldn't have answered. And she said, uh, the student said, I'm sorry, Miss McCleary, I have no, I, I have no idea. And she said, that's okay. We're going to get you there. Right. So there's that importance of culture of error that is so important in person and, and doubly important online so that when you have cold called and you, you don't have cameras on, whether because you can't, can't mandate it or because students may feel more comfortably, you yeah, still yeah. have to act without apology, right? And you have to have yeah, those patients that you would have in person. Definitely. And, and Holly's texted in saying um, some schools didn't allow student, students to actually have cameras on. Yes. Uh, so the chat and things like collaborative PowerPoints became really important to, to monitor student engagement. So I might bring both John and Doug back in now if they want to kind of nip in here on this. But if all the, or the majority of the students don't have cameras on or mics on for, say, the majority of the lesson, um, what kind of tools or tips or um, bits of advice might you give to the teacher in that situation to monitor student progress and engagement? Is there, are there any tools, are there any techniques, are there any strategies? I don't know whether one of you wants to jump in on that. John, you want to jump in first? Sure. Um, so one tip is just like uh, use positive feedback when you can for the students that have their cameras on. Like there's there's a lot of benefits to cameras on and you can you can verbalize those. So you can say like, yeah. Hey, I see Joaquin and Jen are nodding along, and you know Sadie's looks like she has something to say. Um, and you can just normalize that. Oh, hey, when your camera's on, the teacher sees you and appreciates you and wants to engage you in conversation. And um, you know, if the students have to be there anyway, often they want to participate. Um, so yeah. you know, just saying like, oh, you know, Sadie got to share her idea. She got to talk about her idea because her camera was on and the teacher saw she was ready. That's going to at least bring some students to to bring their camera on um, from a, from a more tech angle, like just like lots of writing, like writing, writing is great. Mm. <laughs> um, so use the chat, um, you know, have student writing, uh, you know, have, um, you know, students might be more passive in a whole class setting, but if you do a breakout room where they have to talk to each other, yeah. they're not going to ignore yeah. each other. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there, you can use breakout rooms, you can use chat, basically just, Give them opportunities to write about their ideas um, and share their ideas with each other. Yeah, I mean, would you, would you, and again, either of you feel free to, to jump in on this. Would you prefer students in, in that remote teaching context to be writing with a pen on paper and taking a photograph of it or holding it up to the camera or typing? Now, obviously, or do you think it matters? Is, it, is that just writing? Yeah, that's a, I think it's a super interesting question. Maybe I'll just jump in first on this. Yeah, one. yeah, go for it. Though. The short answer is probably both. But I just want to be, I, I, I think that writing is really important. You know, when you asked Erica earlier about synchronous versus asynchronous, I was going to, yeah. if you'd asked me that question, I would have um, cheated, and uh, which I'm going to do now, and propose an idea called semi-synchronous, which, uh, like everything we learned, we learned from watching a great teacher. But the yeah. idea is, it's a synchronous lesson, you know, with cameras on and, you know, and the lesson that we learned is from the teachers discussing a book with students. And then he says, um, take 10 minutes to 
you know, there's a set of questions for you to think, to, to read to the end of the chapter, and there are a set of questions for you to answer. I want you to write them out, pencil to paper. Yeah. Uh, and then in 10 minutes, we'll come back and talk about it. Leave your cameras on so, uh, so you can wave to me if you need help, or you can chat me, you know, and implicitly so I can help you to make sure that you stay focused and you're still there. And I think there's, there's a real benefit to handwriting. Uh, yeah. It's harder to share. But for formative writing, which is like writing that's, that I'm using to, to process my own thinking, maybe in anticipation of a discussion in particular, I think it's better. It, first of all, it gives kids a break from staring at a screen, which is exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And so back to pencil and paper is nice and it's reflective. Uh, and it kind of puts me back in touch with the ways that I, I, I've mostly written. Uh, and it builds memory better. And so this, the idea of semi-synchronous is, is students are doing independent work on their own for a block of time in the middle of a synchronous lesson, but with their cameras on. And I think that is an ideal time to be doing pencil to paper work to let kids think in a different way that builds memory more strongly. There are also- Yeah, I think Eric- when, Oh, yeah. so, sorry, sorry, go on, Don. I think Eric had jumped in there in the text with quite a good comment. Um, Eric, I don't know if you want to say it rather than in the in the comments there, so I say well, it. Well, Doug almost said it right as I was saying, which is- Yeah, yeah. Great. Twice as, mu twice as much when you've written it down. And actually, Doug has a great strategy whenever he's read something that that he uh, that is really thought-provoking to him. He writes it down, and Doug, I've started doing that too, and it's it's made a huge difference. Yeah. yeah so, Carry on, uh, Doug. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go so, on. no, I think it's so, so whenever I can, I want, I want kids to write pencil to paper, or at least I want to do a significant portion of time. It's so easy to have it get crowded out when we're online, and so I just think it's important to be attentive to it. There are also times when typing is, you know, like, when students are writing on their keyboards, it's instantly makes it easier for me to monitor their work. And so if I want to prioritize checking for understanding, you know, I can have them chat or if they're working in like a linked Google sheet, I can scan down the answers that students are working on. And so I think I'm just kind of weighing the benefits of uh, when I, when the writing is about students thinking and memory building, I probably want to go pencil to paper when it's about either, you know, final work that they're going to submit or it's work that I, I'm, asking them to do so I can assess where they are in real time from a check for understanding perspective, then I want to maybe think keyboard and, you know, in the macro sense, I think I want a balance of the two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. I mean, for me at the moment with my online teaching, um, and just to give you context, I'm teaching secondary age, so high school, American high school age students in Spain, but I'm teaching them online from the UK at the moment on a, on a kind of short-term contract, teaching them history. And basically everything I'm doing with them at the moment is they're taking a picture of the written work and they're submitting it through Edmodo as, as an assignment. Now, obviously that creates probably a little bit, I suppose it creates um, potentially a little bit more work for the teacher in terms of feeding back because they're having to actually read, the, you know, if it's typed, sometimes that can be easier and quicker but but what it is doing obviously is, is it's allowing them to practice writing in an online context so yeah so i think that's basically just echoing really what we've said and that point i didn't know that actually that eric has said about you remember twice as much when you write it down i, I didn't even know that so there's a new little thing for me there um jane has text in now jane i'm going to unmute you now and see if you have a question for any of our guests today maybe you do maybe you can Explain your context. Well, oh, oh my goodness, you, you, have you unmuted me? Am, am I live? I have. You're, you're live. You are live, Jane. Tom, we finally get to chat, and, and that's so delightful, really. Um, no, I just, I, 
um, I think with online teaching, there's a certain amount of, you know, we have to kind of let them relax and, you know, all of these kids are connecting and and they're with us and they're also living their rea their realities and we need to be totally empathetic. I mean, I've had a couple of students, as I said in my in my text. Um, one. Oh, you're breaking up a little bit, Jane. Breaking up a little bit. I mean, Wi-Fi's he's totally there right. in the last. Oh, I'll come back to Jane. Doug, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'll come back to Jane. I think our Wi-Fi is dying to death a little bit there. Um, listen, what we're going to do, I'm going to come back in a minute because I've got some questions for you about teach like a champion uh, principles that might be transferable into the online classroom. I want to ask John about uh, VR. John, I yeah. bet you can't wait to talk about VR replacing teachers because that's <laughs> coming soon to a question near you. Um, and it will be about um, VR robots and meta people replacing teachers at some point in the future. See what your thoughts are on that. And I'd be interested on, on, on Doug and Erica's opinions on kind of VR. Because I, you know, without being silly, I do think that there are certain elements in the future where it, that may apply. You know, I, d I do think there could be, you, you know, some VR experiences or elements that, that we might apply into the future. So back in one minute. Uh, and yeah, and then we'll continue the chat. So stay tuned. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. Right, we will come back to the news in about uh, 20 minutes time once we've uh, got into this chat a little bit more now erica i've noticed a a, <laughs> a text from you it sounds like you're getting a little bit angry erica are you okay i'm just checking in with you i just uh, um yeah i, I <laughs> Before online learning came around and before we wrote a book on how to teach online, um, we were self proudly self-described ourselves as the horse and buggy people, which was if you if you can keep technology out of the classroom, we we are on your side. And obviously we had to quickly, wow. uh, you know, swallow those words, eat those words when we when we uh, moved to remote. But I think I think bringing in robots is, is where I'm is where I'm at. So hopefully, you know, I probably have 25 more years of teaching on the Teach Like a Champion team, and and by then VR 
VR can take over. Yeah, um, I'll bring in I'll bring in John because John, you were my original questioner on this. Yeah. I, I wasn't that when I when I mentioned robots, I was semi joking there, Erica. I have to say, I mean, I think VR headsets with virtual teachers maybe for remote learning and stuff like that. I, I can see that. I don't know about actual physical robots in the classroom, but some people may have described me as a physical robot in the past. Who knows? But <laughs> um, but John. What about you? Can you see a future for VR and robot teachers in the future? A little bit I, I am robot? Um, not yet. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I, 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 I think it's... Uh, so there are VR folks that uh, they have the VR technology and then they want to say, what can we use this for? Uh, and you start applying VR to everything, right? Can VR work with this game? Can VR work in this situation? Can VR work in education? Uh, and so uh, it's technology looking for a way into education. Uh, and I, I'm always skeptical of that approach, right? I'm, I'm much more sympathetic to the approach of teachers saying, hey, we have a problem. Um, what are some potential solutions and maybe this technology can help me with the problem that I'm having. Um, so like when, when somebody comes to me and say like, this is a widespread teacher problem and teachers are looking for a solution and VR is a solution to that problem, then I'll listen. Um, but I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I, I just think the conversation is backwards at the moment. I think it's a technology looking for a door into education. Um, the one thing I will say is that I think, I think it has fringe benefits as like a, as like a lab. Um, like, you know, if people want to break out their VR headsets and do like an undersea lab or visit like a, like a historical yeah. recreation of Rome, I think that could be really cool. Um, but that's like a one-off field trip. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that VR education. That is a VR tool being used. Um, yeah. I mean, John, I'll tell you what, I shouldn't have mentioned this because the chat's all kicking off now. <laughs> Jane, Jane Ritter. Sorry. I can't accept VR as a solution. Um, yeah, I know, I know. Don't worry, don't worry, Erica. I'm out of the profession when VR joins it. Erica, text that she's on the she's on the phone. She's, <laughs> she could have just she could have said it. She she was that angry. She put it in text form. Erica, are you <laughs> honestly sure that you're okay? I'm just checking in again. I'm sure, I, I guess I should back off on the chat. I thought I was supposed to be in there, but I'll, I'll no, I'll no, no, yeah, no. I, I was only writing. joking. We were I, talking I about just... writing, so you had me all fired up. I know. I was, I was trying to be funny and entertaining, but no, I, I really enjoyed your comments. I really, and, and you are helping a lot of people in the chat, so that's really cool. Uh, Doug, dare I ask you about VR robots? Uh, what, yeah, what are your I'm, thoughts uh, on this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be. I, I, I wrote down what John said, which is technology looking for a way into education, and I think it's exactly the way I think, which is what's all. What yeah, that is. That's a good quote. Yeah, but I do, I do also think that there's like, um. The more, the higher, the higher the technology, the the more fancy the technology, the more I think the potential for distraction, both among students, right there, you know, Dan Willingham, the cognitive scientist, tells us you re you remember what you think about. The more the potential for the technology to distract students from the content of what they're thinking about, but maybe even more importantly, the more the potential to distract the teachers from the core of the types of human interactions that cause people to learn. I mean, I just think that when I see so many cases of people buying technology and thinking that the technology will solve the problem, and when I watch them use it, the, prob the, the learning barriers are all about 
the things that learning barriers are always about in education. And maybe I'll just give you a, a, a tiny example of what I mean. Yeah, yeah, go. Um, yeah. And this is like, if, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to give you an example from the sports sector because I, because um, my most recent book about coaching, I've done some work with some, you know, like very high level sport teams. And so I worked some with an NBA uh, National Basketball Association franchise. And they, you know, they have incredible technology resources that they can bring to bear on the learning challenge for their athletes. And so I went to like, to a summer training session for this NBA team and the, the guys practice in the morning and they videotape their practice and they can videotape it from multiple angles and swivel among the angles with the videotape and cut live. Yeah. And they can look at it from different angles. And in between the practices, they watch video themselves practicing. And then, so they can discuss it and critique it. And then they go out and they practice again after watching the video in the afternoon. So I'm watching these, I'm watch so they have, this technology that exceeds anything that we have in the classroom. Uh, and I'm watching what happens when they use it. And the guys come into the room and they sit down and no one has a notebook out. Right. So, and by, you know, these are guys, this is like the NBA summer league. So these are guys who like, they're the bottom three guys on the NBA roster or uh, the, the three guys who can make, like if they make the team, it's a $40 million contract. And if they don't, yeah. you know, they're like, on the, you know, they're not going to sounds like getting a teaching job that Doug. Oh, uh, maybe. Right. Exactly. Right. So, so, so here's what I noticed, which is they come in the room, nobody's writing anything down when they're watching the video. They haven't, the coaches haven't thought enough about where am I going to pause this video? What I want them to be, when I pause the video, what do I want them to be looking at? What's the question that I ask them to cause them to use the video to better understand for themselves what they're doing. And so I would say like they have incredible technology, but from a learning perspective, they are getting about 10% or 20% out of it as compared to what they could. And the problem is not the technology. The problem is that people are distracted by the technology and they're like, we have all these fancy things we can do. We should spend our time thinking about cutting between different, you know, different video angles and the different ways we can mm. use the video. Mm. But the failure is a teaching failure. The failure is like, they're not writing it down. They're not delivering. They're not uh, working on memory. They're not, the athletes aren't talking to each other about the content and discussing it and hearing different perspectives. And so in the end, like it's, it's the, uh, it's the age old classroom problem. And I just think the more technology you bring in, the more you're likely to overlook it's the human interaction around the content that creates learning. I think and yeah. so my, my also answer to the, to like, will VR replace it is that I hope not. Cause I think in the end, like we're deeply social uh, as a, yeah. as a species. And I think we just require humanity around our teaching to create learning. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Erica, um, I was going to come to you next because it kind of leads on from what Doug's just said, really. And that really, when you, uh, I guess, take out a lot of the snazzy things around tech, right? And you just cut it down to the teacher with the students. And I think, and this is only my opinion, by the way, Tom, it's not anybody else's, but I think it, it pushes teacher explanation and instruction to a whole new level because it, it's even more important than it is in the face. I mean, it's more it's incredibly important in the face-to-face -face environment, but I think in the online environment, it takes on an even bigger uh, effect. So I was wondering what your general tips might be for teacher explanation and instruction and whether that advice might be different between an online and a face-to-face -face context or whether it would just be the same. Uh, great questions. I guess um, 
you know, one of the, the we we wrote a blog about this, the silver linings of what we learned, you know, from a year plus spent remote. Um, and and you know, I I would definitely say it's a Venn diagram, and I would say that really talent there are really talented classroom teachers who, when you put them online, to John's earlier point, if they had zero muscle memory for how to use Zoom or how to use Teams, it was a real struggle. Um, so I know I know how tricky that was. Um, but in terms of, you know, one of our favorite techniques is what we call dissolve the screen. You know, it's a teacher's ability to, to make, to make kids feel like they're not, there's not a screen or that there's not distance between them. And, uh, and so that's been, uh, I think one of the, one of the key ones, another piece, you know, going to what Doug was saying about, um, just working memory, right. I think one of the tricks for teachers is how much their own working memory was overloaded when they shifted to online. And so Mm -hmm. now that we've been able to create our own habits and, and our own sort of muscle memory for teaching online, that's been, you know, I think by the, by people did eventually get into the swing of things, both students and teachers. Uh, and, and in terms of techniques that transfer to both, I would say this goes to what Doug was saying earlier, which is, you know, the importance of engaging kids early and often. That's very true online, uh, but it's also true in the classroom. Uh, And one of our techniques um, that's in Teach Like a Champion 3.0 is this idea of means of participation. And really that grew out of the importance of teachers being really clear about how they expect students to engage with the content. And so uh, are they going to cold call? Are they asking for students to raise their hands? Are they asking for call and response? Is it a turn and talk? Is it a writing? Uh, Is it a writing response? And that was very true online. And when students are, or when teachers are effectively able to plan their means of participation very strategically, they can align the rigor of the question as well as sort of the engagement level of the question and then Mm -hmm. be thoughtful about, okay, is this a turn and talk or is this a writing or am I going to cold call? Uh, And the same was very much true online. And so uh, again, I think that there's been a lot. And then the writing piece, I think was a big one. We realized that just the value of pencil to paper, Uh, Doug had mentioned this earlier, but that was able to, um, you know, disrupt the tyranny of the screen. Well, perhaps we don't write enough in classrooms as well. So uh, definitely there's overlap between the techniques and there's certainly lessons learned. It's hard to choose just one. I suppose Mm. if I had to, it would be this idea of effectively planning your means of participation. And so it's not just about uh, uh, lesson planning, but also lesson preparation. So you have your content. Well, how are you then going to ask the students to engage with the content? And that's just as important um, in person as it is online. And so you might, once you have your lesson prepared, okay, now I'm going to go through my, you know, let's say it's, you're using PowerPoint slides on each slide. What are the students doing? Are they chatting here? Are they turning in, are they going into breakout rooms and doing a turn and talk? Are they, am I going to do a cold call or take hands? So again, clear overlaps, when we started to, to write the book, Teaching in the Online Classroom, and I think your questions sort of uh, uh, are circling around this idea, it's not necessarily teach like a champion, but online. It's, it is different mm-hmm. techniques, although yeah, there yeah. is, as I mentioned, that Venn diagram, that synergy of, of what you can do well you can, uh, um, in person, you can do well online. Got you. Uh, I mean, that makes, yeah, makes perfect sense. This is a question I'll, I'll bring, uh, well, Doug or John, in on this one. Uh, so I'll leave it up to you uh, who, who wants to answer it. But with regards to teacher talk, right, um, going back now to kind of, I don't know, early 2000s England, right, there was very much a trend of limit your teacher talk to five minutes at the start of the lesson and then, you know, you can't do too much teacher talk. 
And there may be there's been some in some cases going the opposite direction of well, it, it can be teacher talk for the whole lesson. I mean, do you have any thoughts on the amount of teacher talk in a lesson? I mean, is there any anything you would say on that? Uh, both face-to-face and online and do you think it again do you think there's a difference between online and face-to-face with that i I do think there's a slight difference um which is first of all i think the teacher talk is i don't know how teacher talk got a bad name (laughs) teacher talk is a good thing right like yeah uh it is one of the it is not the only thing we do in a classroom but it's a really important way for us to deliver uh deliver knowledge to students the I, i think the problem is that it butts up against working memory really quickly, which is there's students can only hold so much in their working memory that at any given time, working memory is powerful, but small. So when I do teacher talk, I think I have to give information in, sh- in small batches and then give students fast opportunities, give students opportunities to process it. So this ties into what Erica was saying about like, it could be like, uh, 30 seconds for you to jot down some notes for yourself to reflect on it, 30 seconds for you to quiz a partner on what we just talked about, 30 seconds for you to come up with a question about what we just talked about. So I just think like giving students regular opportunities to engage the content, both to, um, to begin transferring it from working memory into long-term memory, I think is really important. But then I think you can go back, you can go back to more, you can go back to another five minutes. In other words, you don't have to limit it, Five minutes is a good amount of time to deliver and then let kids process. But if you process well, I think you can continue using, you know, you shouldn't do the whole lesson long, but you can continue um, teaching and delivering content. I think the key is like giving kids lots of opportunities to transfer what they're learning from working memory to long-term memory. And I would just say that in an online setting, I think you need to do it more frequently and probably provide information in shorter bursts because the signal is just weaker. Both the signal of like, what you can communicate to students, it's harder, we don't know yeah. how well they're paying attention, and your sort of sense of whether they're getting it is weaker, right? When you're in a room yeah. full of people, you can tell from their eyes on how they're looking at you and whether they're nodding, like are they, pick, are they picking up on that? Are they interested in this? Are they, are they following along? But the, the inherent feedback signal is so much weaker online that I think you just need to like provide more opportunities to, just to be sure to let kids process and wrestle with content in these sort of like quick cycles of like batch of information wrestle with it think about it yeah. great more information yeah. wrestle with it think about it that's, that's got you absolutely and, that, and that's an interesting question actually for john it, leading on from that i had john bergman on here about i don't know two months ago or something talking about flip learning now i wondered john based on what doug's saying there about this idea of allowing students to process um do you think there's a a place for, for that idea of flipped learning in there? Or is flipped learning as a concept something that you you don't necessarily buy into? I, I prefer for the teacher to be there when students are mm. learning content. Um, there's just... Um, there's just so many opportunities for misinterpretation if the teacher isn't there to check for understanding. Um, so like I, you know, I, I think there's a, a nice argument around flipped learning of like, hey, you know, let's just outsource all this independent work. Uh, and then when we come back together, you know, we can have this rich discussion about it. Um, and I, you know, like, like Doug said, I think uh, the semi-synchronous time where I, I do think it's important for students to have independent time to work and process. Um, but I, I like it better when 
students can uh, access the teacher during that time when they have problems. And I like it when teacher can be like, oh, I'm seeing a common misconception. Let me jump in here. Um, so I, you know, there's, there's benefits to flipped learning, but I, I think there's more benefits to the teacher being present and being able to address uh, misconceptions in the moment. Yeah, uh, I'll just see if Erica wants to add anything on that. Erica, do you want to add anything on that just before we move on to our last little bit? No, I think they, they've about covered it. I mean, I, I I briefly misunderstood your question on the on the flip learning piece, and then and then was yeah, thinking, it was uh, a bit of a rubbish question for me. I no, was basically no, it was it was. I was basically I would never I was, call anything a rubbish question. No, I was just thinking when you you had also mentioned this idea of process time, and I already made a joke in the in the yeah. chat there. But apparently, no one's ever going to see that um, around. <laughs> statistics that are made up on the spot but there is a statistic that says teachers on average wait less than one second before calling on a student yeah. and yeah. so that's just another important um important technique which is just the use of wait time and the use of wait time is perhaps doubly important online because uh, of memory right i i would throw in there erica that yeah. and this is from my teaching today is that i find the wait time even harder online than face-to-face -face mm, because 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 i'll tell you why because if you've got students who, and again, we've discussed this earlier, no, you know, it's fine if students want to have cameras on or off or want to have mics yeah. on and off, no problem. But I suppose in the classroom, it, it's, it's, if you are having that wait time and you're the teacher and maybe you're on screen or whatever, it, it can be a bit harder to, to sit there for your 10 seconds or your 20 seconds before pushing for an answer or asking, you know, it does create a bit more of a, well, I don't I know think, if I'd use the word pressure, but yeah. To, I think to, that's where writing comes in. Right. And so there's like, yeah. the, like uh, one of the things is one of the things that we talked about and we have, I believe now at this point, four webinars on online learning. And I think it's the third one is check for understanding. And we talk about the velocity of data that comes. Not only just. Erica, you, oh yeah, you're back. Yep. You're back. Is a way to slow the velocity of data, both for you, but also for your students. And then the anxiety of that moment is is basic. You can you know go back to this idea of writing. Everybody, take thirty seconds, jot a note to yourself, and when we come back, I'm going to come. I, I can't wait to hear from a few of you, right? So you're teeing up this idea of cold call, or you might say, when we come back, I would love to hear from John and then Doug and then Tom, right? So uh, uh, you can sort of use additional techniques to support that idea of wait time in the classroom. I mean, in the yeah. online classroom. Yeah, absolutely. Tell you what I'm going to ask you. It's your last question each. I'm going to come back. To, I'm going to give you some thinking time now, Erica, some processing <laughs> time. See, I'm already, it's CPD here in, in action. That was quick, quick. <laughs> absolutely. I'm giving you all some processing time. Um, I'm going to go to the news, which lasts about three minutes or something, uh, today's educational news. While the news is on, I'm going to bring you back, all three of you back, for the last couple of minutes, and I'm going to ask each of you your one golden nugget piece of advice or guidance or something you would share with a teacher who has never taught online before. So we're going to come back in a few minutes, and that's the question I'm going to ask each of you. So have a think, and uh, we'll see if we can get some TED Talk answers in, in a few minutes' time. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, the SSTA union is calling for a delayed opening for schools after the Christmas holidays because of the Omicron variant. 
Seamus Searson, General Secretary of the Scottish Secondary Teachers Association, said, If the numbers keep going up, and it looks like that is going to be the case for some time to come, then we are not going to be in a fit state to reopen schools as normal in January. We're already hearing of schools that are not fully staffed and parents are keeping their kids off to ensure they don't catch COVID in the run up to Christmas. The idea that we need to keep schools open at all costs just doesn't add up. Delaying the start of the new term would give teachers more time to prepare for mitigation measures. A Scottish Government spokesman said, the Scottish Government is not considering school closures. As the First Minister has made clear, protecting the education of children and young people remains a top priority. England, a teaching union has warmed of a perfect storm of Omicron-related absences, following Nadeem Sahawi's letter to school leaders urging them to encourage ex-teachers back to the classroom. General Secretary of the NASUWT, Dr Patrick Roach said, far more action is needed to improve the current market for supply teachers, which is nothing short of a national scandal. The government must address the delays with the DBS clearances and meet the costs of DBS certification so those teachers who do return to the profession are not left paying the bill. Dr Roach said that without guarantees from the government on teachers' pay and working conditions, the teaching supply crisis will continue for some time to come. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This week we're going to look at one of the simplest, freely available, yet least used browser technologies, the Reader View. Chrome versus Edge, let the battle commence. On screen one, I have Microsoft Edge weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. On screen two, I have Google Chrome also weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. Round one, opening reader view. On the Edge browser, the immersive reader feature is built in and can be activated by a button on the address bar, by typing read followed by a colon in front of a URL, and also you can simply press F9. Before you can open reader view in Chrome, you have to install it as an extension. It's free and not difficult. Once installed, you'll find it in extensions located to the right of the address bar. One point to Immersive Reader. Round two, Features. Both come out fighting with the Read Aloud feature that allows the user to adjust the read speed, skip forward and back, and change the voice that is reading. They both also highlight the word being read. Chrome Reader has a volume control, which is a nice touch if not using headphones. One point, Chrome Reader. Round three, Readability. A big feature for reader views is the ability to change the formatting to suit the user. Both allow easy changing of font size, font and text width on the screen, but they differ in background colour features. Here is where Immersive Reader offers quite a bit more. Chrome Reader offers eight background slash contrast colours, four light and four dark. Immersive Reader provides 23 background options, green, pink, yellow and blue included, allowing pupils with visual needs to find a comfortable colour. One point, Immersive Reader. Round four, editing. Chrome Reader features a design mode. 
This allows you to highlight text and make changes. Quite useful if wanting to pick out key points to return to. Immersive Reader does not have this feature. One Point Chrome Reader. Round 5. Extra Features. Immersive Reader has a grammar feature, allowing words to be split into syllables. You can highlight nouns, verbs, adjectives and adverbs by flicking switches. This feature is not offered on Chrome Reader. One Point Immersive Reader. Immersive Reader also offers reading preferences, featuring line focus of 5, 3 or 1 line, blocking out the rest of the page. There's a picture dictionary, allowing some words to change the pointer to a magic wand that reveals a picture depicting it. Also, there's a translation feature allowing partial or full translation of a page into 88 different languages at the click of a button. Chrome Reader does not offer these features, however, other free products such as Google Translate could be used. Immersive Reader takes the point because you don't need to leave the page. Final score! Winning with 4 points to 2 after a blistering final round is Microsoft Immersive Reader, but let's face it, most people don't know these things exist. If you were one of them, please do something about it. See if these features are installed in your school, and if not, request they are. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, okay, okay. We are back live on Teachers Talk Radio on the Late Late Show with me, Tom Rogers. I'm sorry for talking so lively. So I got told off this morning. Someone said, you are too lively for the 10 to 11 p.m. slot. Well, not for the American people, okay? They are still at 4 or 5 p.m., yeah? So don't, you know, that's why I'm lively, because they've just got in from work, all right? Might be late for us here, but not for them, okay? So, yeah, just saying. Um, What I am going to say now is, and this is an interesting one, because I'm sure the anticipation is killing people for this, but I'm going to ask each of my guests for their golden nugget of advice for a teacher who is yet to teach online, okay? So somebody who hasn't experienced online teaching, if you were to sit down with them in a room, what would you say to them? (laughs) Doug! All right. Well, I, I wasn't sure whether you're cold calling or, or <laughs> sorry. Chat. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> that was my fault. That's my poor online teaching. Okay. Well, and so maybe that's maybe I'll just make that my. my oh no! Of, uh, don't. Well, don't other than talk, talking lively, I think you know, like that's <laughs> no. Uh, I think honestly, planning your means of participation, which is being intentional and as part of your preparation process, decide on a variety of ways that you want students to be involved in answering. Like, don't just plan the question, but how you will ask students to answer it and how you will be transparent with them so they know how you'll how you'll ask them to answer the question so that they engage in the content in a variety of ways throughout the course of the lesson. P.S. If while they're walking out of the room, I could sneak one more thing and I would just remind them about the importance of retrieval practice and that, you know, sometimes mm. when we get online, I think memory is, retrieval practice is generally underestimated when we get online, memory is especially fragile. And so, um, you know, coming back to content from previous lessons, quizzing students about it, letting them rehearse it, letting them retrieve it uh, is important and easily overlooked. If you want to, there's a great video on the Teach Like a Champion blog of Joe Toy of uh, Cardiff High uh, doing a really beautiful retrieval practice lesson uh, in her history class. And um, it's gold. Doug, I'm going to have to stop you there because... Whenever I hear Joe Toy, I always think of Garnier and Toy and and all the guys from Band of Brothers, you know? I don't know if you've seen that. There's a guy Uh, called Joe Toy in it. 
Is that a contemporary culture illusion? Because <laughs> any anything you know, anything post nineteenth century is lost on me. So. <laughs> yes, it's Band of Brothers, two thousand and one. It's one of the best <laughs> series ever. Okay, it's amazing. But there's a guy in it called Joe Toy. All right, he's not the same guy who did the retrieval practice lesson. I promise. Um, but it's great. Right, you should watch it. You should check it out. The Joe Toy um, retrieval practice lesson is a gal. So. Right there. Right. Okay. Yeah. Another brilliant clanger from me. So that's that's good news. Um. Right. Erica, gonna bring you in next for. (laughs) Oh, Doug. Do they still say "gal" in the UK? Can you get away with that? (laughs) Uh, Erica, I don't know what's going on right now. I just like everything. I mean, oh, well. it's only five. It's only five o'clock here, so or six o'clock, excuse me. Uh, well, you know, the the perfect perfect thing happened here in my house was you said we had three minutes to prepare a TED talk answer, and then the doorbell rang, and the dog barked, and eight other things happened in between, and I felt like it was a parable for online learning, right? Which is, you yourself were online, yeah, sure. and you're managing your own children. I mean, that was, I, I was pretty close to tears all through the pandemic because I had three online learners of my home, own oh, trying to study. I thought you were going to say all through the show then, Erica, for a minute. Oh, I was no. really well, worried. Thankfully, I... they're not home now. That would, it, it would have been a different show. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I think first, what I would say to teachers who had never taught online before, I would say, thank you. And I would say, you can do this. Uh, I would say not to try to reinvent the wheel and forgive yourself just as you should in the classroom when you've made mistakes, you always have another day or another class. And then I would say leverage the relationships that you had in person. That was something that we were able to do back in March 2020, right, when we went online. And that's how we are now. You've had them in person, hopefully, for, you know, since September. Uh, and they won't be new to online learning. And so it, this will not this will not be March 2020 again. Um, we have the tools have caught up. We all have, you know, it's, it, I hate saying the new normal, but it's, uh, it's something that we've done bef- that, that the, the, the society has done before. So even though you haven't ha- as a teacher done it before, there are much, there are many more tools and supports available to you. Uh, as I've mentioned, we have our blog, we have tons of video on our blog. So we encourage you to check that out. We also have workshops. We'd encourage you to come to, um, but we're just, you know, I, I think first and foremost, grateful for teachers who really have, I think, b- bore the brunt of uh, the pandemic in a way that a few other professions besides the medical profession have had to do. So, so again, I think bottom line would be thank you. Amen. Amen. Doug's commented. Now that is a great answer. Erica Walway. <laughs> uh, and Doug doesn't even your... figure out how to rename himself anything besides VBNPSQF. <laughs> We're all stuck with that. I mean, I'm called Teachers Talk Radio. <laughs> That's not what my students call me today. Trust me. Um, so yeah, we're all stuck in that regard. Um, anyway, last one is, last but not least, is John Costello. John, you've yeah, so had the I've... most time out of anybody <laughs> to think about this, so I'm expecting something that's going to blow our minds. I appreciate it. So uh, unsurprisingly, I'm thinking about teacher video, right? So uh, recorded lessons offer novel opportunities here uh, to celebrate your successes and learn from your mistakes. Um, so I would say to new teachers, record your lessons, or like record as many lessons as possible. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. maybe once a week or whatever is feasible for you, pick moments that you're proud of and share them with your coach or mentor and pick moments where you didn't know what to do and ask your yeah. coach or mentor for ideas of what you could have done, uh, how you could have uh, different ways you could have handled that moment. Um, and really don't, don't sleep on the highlight reel. Like the, a lot of my job is watching teachers and, uh, 
cutting around their best moments to sort of put them on a pedestal and say like, hey, like this was a great moment. Everyone should like, everyone look at this great moment where this teacher handled the situation like a pro. Um, it, you know, it's really empowering to say like, I got it right this time. Um, so I, you know, just having, having video record of your entire lesson is hugely powerful. Uh, and you can reflect on that and get help on areas where you're like, oh, I didn't know what to do here. You know, you, yeah. you have the opportunity to go back to that moment and have a coach say, okay, here are some different ways we could have done that. Yeah, spot on. And I know Jane said, you know, don't get angry if they don't turn on their camera. And Erica has replied in text, and Jane, yes, never get angry at kids for anything, especially something beyond their control. We need to be understanding and supportive. And what we call loving accountability, your camera may be off, but I still want to hear from you because I care about you. What a fantastic answer. And also, uh, John, you didn't let us down there because I think the the idea of, of you know, it, it is something that's being tapped into more is this idea of, of um, teachers taking advantage of video technology to record their own lessons and then to dissect and, and analyze. But one thing is to really take into account the positive things that a teacher is doing in the online classroom. Because it is, if we think about it, for every teacher, it is a new world. Even teachers who are tech savvy, it's been a new, it's a whole new world for them, isn't it? So like, it's trying to pick out the things that are going well with that, if that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I think it is. Even if you have like one, like five minute section that went well all week, that can be, it can be really great to go revisit that one moment. Like sometimes you need to see like, yeah, right. Like, yes, like we can have successes even if I'm having a hard time. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Folks, we are out of time. Uh, it's been so good to to talk to you. I've got so much out of this, and I'm sure everybody listening has as well. It's been amazing. I have to say a special thank you to all three of you, to Erica, to John, to Doug, uh, for joining me this evening on The Late Late Show. If you want to listen back to this as a podcast, it will be published as a podcast in the next 30 minutes, so you'll be able to engage with it maybe on your commute or whenever you get the chance to. And we'll also maybe clip some bits out that might be helpful for people as well. Uh, I'll try and uh, use my video editing skills to, to clip a few bits out um, if people want to engage with a few of the tips that have been given uh, tonight. So again, thank you so much for coming on, all three of you, and uh, maybe speak to you again soon. Oh, I was going to ask, actually, before you all go, is it how often do you three get to actually work together at the same time? You know, in the same room, kind of thing. Often, you mean like Doug and podcast? Doug and John more often than I because they're closer closer okay. to one another. Yeah, that's interesting. I was just going to say, is it a rare thing for you to all speak together, kind of thing, on the same panel, so to speak, or not? We do this. Well, we're we're zooming all together, all together, uh, all the time. Uh, but on yeah. this, the three of us, this is a unique combination you've, that the world has never seen before on a podcast. <laughs> That's uh, what I was trying to get, Erica. I was trying to get like a world exclusive, <laughs> the world premiere, um, world premiere exclusive. So exactly, exactly right. Thanks, everyone, and uh, yeah, I can't really Thanks, say Tom. any more than that. Thank you so much. Cheers, cheers, all. Bye, bye, bye. That was that was great, wasn't it? That was brilliant. I loved it. I loved it. Um, I learned and took so much away from that. Now, hopefully, we won't have to confront a situation where we are flung into remote teaching and learning again, you know, with no time to plan. Uh, you know, the day before we're going face to face, and then suddenly the day before, 
we're going online. Hopefully that won't happen again. You never know in Great Britain, but certainly, you know, you'd hope that it wouldn't. But if it is going to happen, then hopefully this show will help you out a little bit on the road to uh, to to remote teaching again. And and I'm sure maybe it'll come in handy further down the line as well when we approach certain situations where we are teaching online. I'm not saying due to a pandemic, but I'm sure there will come times in our careers, in our lives, where remote teaching and learning is going to come around again. Uh, Jane, I know, is in the studio. Jane, if you want to call in now for the last couple of minutes, I do apologise. I couldn't connect you in earlier on. Uh, but Jane, if you do want to come in now for the last couple of minutes, then you're welcome to do so. Uh, if not, I am going to close out the show with our world famous Teachers Talk Radio jingle. And tomorrow morning, there's just more and more shows. 7am, Mal is on with Jill Berry, special guest Jill Berry, 7am tomorrow morning. Beyond that, we've got shows from 4pm tomorrow all the way through, all the way through. And then Wednesday, we are having our TTR Christmas shutdown from the 22nd through to the 4th of January. So we're going to down tools for a little bit. But don't worry, if you miss us that much, you can get on the website ttradio.org and listen back to any show you want as a podcast. And I highly recommend Matt Williams' guest show earlier on today, which will be available in the next 30 minutes as well. Fantastic show. Uh, a teacher, uh, uh, two teachers actually, talking about their experience of cancer and going through that process and how they are dealing with it. So if you get an opportunity to listen back to that one, Matt Williams from 6pm today will be available as a podcast after this, then please do. Again, my guests have gone, but thanks to them. I'll be back. Oh, goodness me. I'll be back in about three weeks time now. So uh, it's been fantastic. And uh, Merry Christmas to one and all. And uh, I'll be back again very, very soon on TTR. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.